You are listening to the sermon podcast of Connection Church, a gospel-centered community on a mission to make much of Jesus in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. For more information, visit SiouxFallsConnection.com. Thank you for listening. So I'm just excited to be able to be here, and I thought I'd start by introducing you guys to some of my family. Uh, so first, I'd like to introduce you to my grandson. Uh, this is my grandson, Tyler. Uh, does it, anybody know Tyler? Anyone? Yes. Who's Tyler? Does it, who is he? Detroit. He's a church planner in Detroit, and he calls me grandpa, not because of my beard, but because we actually planted the church that planted him. And so he treats me like a grandfather. He only calls me when he wants money um, and encouragement and help dealing with his parent. That's the only time that Tyler ever calls me. But when he's here in a couple weeks and you see him, because he's coming to preach, I think, in two weeks, make sure you tell him that Grandpa Noel said hi, okay? As many people who can say that to him as possible will be hilarious. So do that for me. Uh, this is the rest of my family. Um, my wife right in the front in the black shirt. Uh, she and I have been married for, I don't know, a while, uh, 20, 28 plus years. And, uh, and my daughter in the back with the multiple colored hair. Uh, she is my oldest. She is, as you can tell, a creative. And she actually owns her own creative, kind of a boutique creative firm that does events, both corporate and individual events and like that. And then the uh, second whitest person in the picture on the far right on the left is her husband, Clay. Um, and then sitting on the couch is my son, Jesse. Jesse was drafted out of high school to the Tigers um, and then went to play for Michigan State University and then COVID messed up his baseball career so now he is a financial planner uh, so but that tends to happen my son in the back in the middle next to my daughter is Ethan Ethan is a barber in Chicago and uh, so he gets to cut hair of a bunch of professional athletes and that's a super cool thing uh, next to him is Yoshi uh, Yoshi is uh, one of our adopted kids not actually adopted but we have over the years uh, taken college students and other young people that don't have family in our town and brought them into to our family and had them become part of our family. And so Yoshi actually lived with us for 11 months for a while comes to every one of our family gatherings because he doesn't have family locally. And so we've got a couple extra people like that in our house all the time. And then my son in the front, wearing the white shirt and the yellow ring, that is Coley. And Cole just finished his baseball career. And it was because of Cole that I met my friend John. And John was at my son this season's uh, first baseball game, and his son was also playing for the same team as my son. And John walked up to me one day, the, like the second game of the season, and he got right into my face, and he looked at me, and he said, you look like a mother Viking. That was quite the introduction to this guy. And I, and I said, thank you. Um, and, and he was just a, a, a kind of a crass, rough around the edges kind of guy. And during the course of that first baseball game, over the span of nine innings, he drank like a case of beer. He sp- uh, smoked a pack of cigarettes. And we just sat there and talked about Vikings. I heard the word Viking and the F word more often than I've ever heard those two words in one conversation in my entire life over the course of that nine innings. And after that game, I went to my wife and I I said, this is my guy. I'm hanging out with him the whole season. And on that day, I put John on my list. Because on my phone, I have a list. It's a list of names of people that I intend to share the gospel of Jesus with. 
And then right next to their name are specific things that I'm praying for. And John is exactly the sort of target of the kind of person that I want to talk to about Jesus. And so over the course of the, the next year or the next several months, he and I had lots of good conversations. We talked about uh, baseball. We talked about motorcycles. We talked about Vikings. Um, I learned more about Vikings than I ever learned. I was a history major and learned more about Vikings from John than anyone else had ever met. We talked about our family. We talked about all that sorts of thing. And, and I was praying that whole season that I'd have an opportunity to tell John about Jesus, because this is what I knew about John. John was in chains, and he needed to be set free. And this is what drives me. Every single one of us begins our life in chains. We're enslaved. We're enslaved because of our sin, and we're enslaved because of the sin in the world. And as Christians, we believe that the only one who holds the keys to the chains of our slavery is Jesus. Jesus, who is and always has been the eternal Son of God. Jesus, who, who stepped into this world and lived a perfectly sinless life, showing us the way and reminding us that there's no way that we are ever going to be capable of walking that way. It was Jesus who took our sins with him to the cross where he died. It was Jesus who was buried in the ground but didn't stay dead. It's Jesus who rose from the dead, conquering sin, Satan, death, guilt, and shame, who uh, ascended into heaven where he sits at the right hand of God the Father, advocating for us, who will one day return to judge the living and the dead. Jesus who offers eternal life to all who believe. I met John that day and I thought John needs to know Jesus. And what drives me every single day when I wake up, the reason I do what I do for a living is because of people like John. I want John to know the good news. And not just John, my barber. If you walked into the barber shop at my barber, um, and, 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 and by the way, my beard is better than yours. Um, if you went into uh, my barber shop, it is all steel and mahogany and skulls, and Brian is a pagan uh, who has never been to church his entire life, not even for a wedding, not even for a funeral. That guy has got a, a target on him because anybody who walks up to me and says, uh, uh, who trims your beard? I tell them, go to Brian. And so all these people from my church are going there and now sharing the gospel with him. My books are actually sitting in the lobby of his thing right next to some other colorful literature, uh, but sitting right there because he wants to show people that on the back of the book is a picture of a beard that he trimmed. So he likes to show everybody that, right? I I've shared the gospel with Brian more times uh, than I can count. I shared the gospel with my Ethiopian server yesterday in the Minneapolis Sky Club, Delta Sky Club, when he came up to me and we started talking and he, he was like practicing his English because he's only been in America for a year, and he said he loved practicing his English, and his name tag said Abraham, so I had an in, so I started talking to him about his name. Turns out he was Muslim, but he was not really following the Muslim faith since he'd been in Minneapolis, and, 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 and the deal is, all day long, every single one of us is surrounded by people like this. They're searching for eternal life, and they don't realize that that's actually what they're searching for, and, and that's for a reason. Solomon, the wisest man who'd ever lived, told us that God has placed eternity in our hearts, but no one can discover the work of God from beginning to end. So people don't know that that's what they're searching for. They've got this whole the size of eternity inside of them, and it becomes the driving force for everything they do. The reason people have a perfectly manicured lawn is actually their search for eternity. 
It's the reason our society is so obsessed with sexuality and gender is because they're searching for eternity. It's the reason we game. It's the reason we flip the TikTok videos that are designed to make us think, oh, just one more might fill this void in my life, right? Because we desperately need something. And we have the answer, don't we? As followers of Jesus, we know that Jesus, as he told us in John 14, when he said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is what my friend John needs to hear. So I put him on my list. And this idea of sharing the good news with someone is what we call in Christian circles evangelism. And the idea of evangelism may be terrifying for most of us, but I'll tell you a secret. It doesn't, that word doesn't appear in your Bible, so you can just relax about that. Um, but the word evangelist does. It appears in three places. It, it appears in Ephesians where we learn that Jesus gives leadership gifts to the church. There's apostles and prophets. There's, there's, there's teachers and pastors. And then there's evangelists. That's the first time it shows up. The second time is what I understood that Jonathan was going to teach on last week. Jonathan, did you? He did not. Um, and so let me catch you up to what he was supposed to do last week. Uh, you can talk to him later about kind of falling through the cracks of that. Um, uh, uh, there is one person in the entire New Testament that is given the title of evangelist. Do you know who it is? Anyone? Philip. Somebody said it. Philip. There's a guy named Philip. And so what do we know about Philip? What we know is Philip went to Samaria, which was an area, of an ethnically mixed area where everybody hated the ethnically mis mixed people there because they weren't pure like everybody else, right? And he went there and he proclaimed the gospel of Jesus and it says many there got saved. And so when we see that, we're like, oh, that's what evangelism is. It's somebody going out on a street corner and standing and preaching. It's like my friend who's an actual night pastor in Brazil. His name is Javan. And Javan said, sent me a video of him on a ferry and he got on the ferry and he was like huh this is a crowd they're not going anywhere went to the front started preaching the gospel I and, and we think that's all and by the way when he did that someone came up and said I've never heard that before can I hear more and we hear that and we go oh there is no way there is just absolutely no way I'm not going to be like one of those campus preachers goes and stands in the freak you know the street corner and freaks everybody out I'm not gonna do it but that's not all that Philip did the Holy Spirit sent Philip to a, a, a caravan um, that where there was an Ethiopian eunuch, and he was a royal official to the queen, probably uh, of Nubia, um, and, he, and it was this Ethiopian eunuch was in this entourage. He was super wealthy. He was like in charge of the royal treasury, and the Holy Spirit said, go talk to that guy. So he walks up, and then in the chariot, he hears the guy reading, and the guy's reading the Bible. <laughs> now get that. The Holy Spirit was already at work in this guy's life. Chipping away, chipping away, and just needed somebody to go talk to him. So, so Philip goes up and, and he says, what you reading? <laughs> and the guy tells him, and he takes a beeline from what he was reading and tells him about Jesus. Because he says, you don't understand unless you know Jesus. So stop for a second and think about this. Philip is the only person in the Bible that has given the title of evangelist, so we can look at his life and say, oh, that's a pretty good picture of what an evangelist is. What did he do? The first thing he did is he publicly proclaimed Jesus. And the second thing he did is he privately had a conversation with somebody about Jesus. It's all about telling people about Jesus. Now, here's the thing that I know. Some of you 
are terrified by this idea. And usually, anytime a pastor talks about evangelism, all they say is, you're terrified, right? This is scary. You don't want to do this. But I know that that's not true. I know that in this room, there are some people who love this. Or maybe you're a people person, and you love people, and you love Jesus, and you've been trying to figure out how to combine those two things, and you are just wired for it. And I want to tell you, if you're wired like that, fan that thing into flames. I was in South Bend, Indiana, working on a writing project, and at the table next to me, there was this teenage girl, and she was sharing the gospel with her friend. She told her to come meet her for coffee, and I overheard this whole thing because they're at the table next to me, and she says, I, I brought you here today because I wanted to talk to you about Jesus, <laughs> and I was like, no way. So I, I couldn't write. I was pretending to write, so it didn't look really creepy, but I was just listening to her, and I was praying for her, and I slacked our team back at home and said, pray for this kid. She's sharing the gospel with her friend right now, and I even wrote her a note. I was going to slide it to her, uh, but then I thought, oh, that's probably really creepy, so I, I didn't do that, uh, but some of you are like her. And what I want to tell you is, if that's you, don't be ashamed of that. Go out and do that. Just share the gospel with every single person that you meet. But that's not all of us, is it? There is a group of us that are terrified by this idea. And remember I told you there were three times the word evangelist shows up in the Bible? Here's the third. First Timothy chapter, or 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes this to his protege, Timothy, who was a pastor. He said, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their passions and will turn away from teaching the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Now, I want you to check this out. What does Paul do? Well, the first thing he does is he says, I charge you. In other words, he's like, this is what I want you to do. These are your marching orders. And he stacks up witnesses. He says, in the presence of God. That's a pretty good witness. And then he says, in the presence of Christ Jesus, who is, by the way, going to judge the living and the dead. So he's like ramping up the charge, right? And then he says, by his appearing. So that's when Jesus returns. By his kingdom, which he's going to set up. So he's like, this is a big deal. And then he gives him a list of things to do. Why? Well, it's right in the middle. And I don't think any of us would deny the fact that the time has come when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers that suit their own passions and will turn away to myths. Does that not sound like where we live today? In fact, do you know your social media is actually wired to do this to you? It doesn't matter whether you're, you're on t- uh, TikTok or Twitter, I guess it's X now, that's stupid, um, or Instagram or Facebook. It, it's actually designed to feed you more of what you look at. People are always like, why does it keep feeding me this? Because you keep looking at it. Whatever it is, conspiracy theories, more conspiracy theories, right? Uh, Motorcycle videos, more motorcycle videos. It doesn't matter. Whatever you watch, you're going to get more of. And so what happens is it is designed to do two things. It's designed to convince you that you're right, which you may not be, and to convince you that everybody agrees with you, and they may not, right? This is a world that we live in where our ears itch, and even our technology tells us 
what we want to hear. So, so Paul is trying to get Timothy ready for this, right? And so he says, okay, this is the world you're going to be living, so this is what I want you to do. He says, I want you to preach the word in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience. Exercise self-control. Endure hardship. And then he says, do the work of an evangelist to fulfill your ministry. Now, it's easy to look at this and, and to know that Timothy was a, a pastor, right? And then to go, okay, well, really, let's, let's just be honest. This is Jonathan's job, right? He's supposed to preach the word. He's really good at rebuking, sometimes good at encouraging, uh, sometimes good at great patience, right? But like, it's his job. But here's the thing. Jesus, in his famous Great Commission in Matthew 28, said what? He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to, to, to obey everything I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. And I don't believe that that was a command just given to pastors, but to every disciple of Jesus. We are to be in the disciple-making business, which means that we are all called to evangelism. And most of us are like Timothy. And what do I get out of this passage? He wasn't good at it. Why do I say that? Because Paul said to him, do the work. He wouldn't have had to say that to him if he was good at it, if he was naturally wired at it, if it was something that got him out of bed in the morning. He's like, you need to do the work of an evangelist. And I think that becomes a picture for most of us. Most of us who are scared by this idea, we need to just realize that this is something we got to kind of pull out of ourselves and do actual the work of an evangelist. And I think we look at a picture of a guy like Philip and we're terrified of that idea of standing on the street corner like my friend Javon the ferry. And we're not going to do that. But what we can do is we can have conversations like that teenage girl was doing in that coffee shop with our friends about Jesus. That is our calling. I don't believe it's the calling of just people who are gifted at it. When Jesus says, go, therefore, and make disciples, and he says, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, it's an invitation and a promise. The invitation is to be part of what he's doing. Do you realize how bonkers it is that Jesus left us to share the gospel with people? It is the stupidest idea. I, 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 no offense, Jesus. I mean, one day he talked to me about this, but he left it to us. He could have done anything he wanted. He could have made it so that starlings murmurate in the sky, they put up John 3.16, right? He could have done anything he wanted. And then he said, you know what? I'm going to send you people to go talk to people about Jesus. It is crazy, but it's an invitation that comes with a promise when he said, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And we, like Timothy, are living in an age where people will not tolerate sound doctrine, where they're collecting for themselves teachers that will scratch their ears and tell them what they want to hear. And the, what we need is courageous men and women who are ready to do the work of an evangelist even if we're not gifted at it. Because when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, when people gravitate toward teachers that affirm their desires and tell them what they want to hear, we must do the work. And here's the deal. They're not going to come into our churches. We're past that time. And it's good. I'm glad we're past that time in our culture. People are not just going to wander in the door on their own. They're, you'll get a few every once in a while. But people, we need to go to them. 
We need to go to them, to, to where they are, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our sports teams. We are living, you've probably heard these phrase, in a post-Christian age. We're living where people are calling themselves exvangelicals or deconstructing. You know, 59 million Americans now identify as what's called a nonvert, and they probably don't use that title. It comes from the book Nonverts, but a nonvert is someone who used to believe something but doesn't anymore. They were Hindu, but now they're not. They were Christian, but now they're not. They were Jehovah's Witness, but now they're not. 59 million living Americans identify right now of saying, I have no religious belief. Christianity has been tried in our generation, and it's been found lacking. In fact, our core values, our core beliefs as Christian churches are now considered immoral evils in the world today. Isn't that encouraging? But here's the deal. I love this. I love it because we are in our element. You go back and you study church history in the first century of the church, the Roman Empire was exactly like this. They considered the claims of Christianity to be immoral evils. Right now in China, uh, our, our beliefs are considered immoral e- evils, and yet the official government number of Christians in China is 44 million. And you know they're undercounting because most people are not telling them. The gospel is exploding in China. It exploded in the first century from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the world. And so we are in that moment again. We get to be salt in this crazy world. We get to be light in this crazy world. We get to be what Augustine called the city on the hill. Cultures like the one that we live in right now that have rejected our core values and consider them to be moral evils, this is where Christianity shines. We get to boldly and courageously hold up the truth of the gospel, not just in church, but in our barber chairs, in our neighborhoods, in our coffee shops, in our taxi cabs. And I know, again, I'm acknowledging it can be a little scary, so I want to give you some help. My friend Jason Shepard, who's a pastor in Houston, he's an Acts 29 pastor in Houston, I love what he says. He says, what we need to do in order to be able to share the gospel with people is learn how to have good conversations that turn into God conversations that turn into gospel conversations. And so it starts with uh, learning how to talk to people. And for some of us introverts, that may be a little harder, right? Extroverts know how to do that. But we just, what do we talk about? The weather. We need to learn how to have good conversations. To ask people things about their life that probe into generating good conversations with people. And then we pray that eventually those conversations would turn to spiritual matters somehow. And sometimes with people that takes a lifetime. Sometimes it takes a week. Sometimes it's one conversation. We pray that it'll get to some spiritual matters. And then from there, we pray that we are courageous enough to turn that into a gospel conversation. And to tell people how much Jesus loves them and Jesus died for their sin, rose again, conquering sin, Satan, death, guilt, and shame for them. So what does it look like? Well, first of all, talk to people. Be natural. Don't be weird. Just talk to people about normal stuff that people talk about, right? And then just pray for those opportunities for spiritual things to pop up. It takes intentionality. Because sometimes it's so easy to hide kind of behind the doors of the church or of our home There's a gravitational pull of familiarity that keeps us from being around people 
who believe things that are different than we do. That pull is so strong that we need to break away from it. That's why uh, Rachel Gardner, a friend of mine who is a youth worker in northern England, she says, to, in order to reach people for Christ, we need to get perilously close to them. I love that. We need to get perilously close to those that we're reaching for Jesus. And you know who did that so well? His nickname was Friend of Sinners. Uh, he's in your Bible. His name is Jesus. Um, for those of you who didn't know who that was. And the reason he was known as a friend of sinners is because that's who he hung out with. I mean, one of my favorite stories is in Mark 10. Uh, you may remember Mark 10. This is when he calls Levi the tax collector. And he says, Levi, let's go. And Levi's like, great, where are we going? And Jesus is like, your house. And he's like, great, I hope I vacuumed, right? So like, like, so like they go back to Levi's house and Levi's throwing his party. And it says he's just filled with tax collectors and sinners. And tax collectors and sinners in the passage over and over and over says tax collector over and over and over. Why? Because tax collector was the worst possible sinner anyone could imagine in their culture. So they kept mentioning, why is Jesus hanging out with tax collectors? And there were these religious guys there, saw it, got really weirded out, and this was Jesus' response. Uh, Mark 2, verse 17, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Uh, by the way, I love the fact that your church is across the street from a hospital. That's two hospitals right next to each other. People don't go to the hospital across the street because they're well. You know, I woke up this morning, and I think my fever has broke. It's time to go to the hospital. You know, that headache that has been dogging me, it is gone. Time to go to the hospital, right? You don't wake up. You're right. That's stupid. Wouldn't it be amazing if this church was the place where people are like, I am so messed up, i got to go to Connection. If this was a safe place for people to show up and just let their just everything hang out in their life. That's what Je and, and notice what Jesus did here. I think, I can't be dogmatic about this, but I think Jesus made this statement that I just read in front of his new friends. He called them unhealthy. He called them sick. Right in front of them. I, I'm, that, that seems to be what's happening in this text. And here's the deal. They still liked Jesus. There is this sweet spot when you legitimately love people where you can say the hard things to them. And this is what's so critically important. People can sniff out if you are just their friend because you want something from them. You know, if somebody invites you over to dinner and you're like, mm, I think you're into multi-level marketing, right? You know, like, this is what the dinner is, right? Yeah, you, just, you just know it. Are you bringing such loyals to this party? I don't know, right? We, we know if someone wants to be our friend, just be, and don't get on me about essential oils. I have them in my beard today. Um, but the thing is, people know when you just want something out of them. They can sniff it. We need to be friends with people just because we're friends with people. Because we actually legitimately love them. People aren't projects. They're not a notch in your belt. They're not a like on your Instagram page. You need to love people because you love them. Be their friends even if they don't come to Christ. They're real friends. My patron saint in this is a guy named Steve. And, and you've never met Steve. One day um, I will introduce you to him in glory. Just come find me. Um, Steve was one of the original church planters that planted the church where I pastor right now in 1977. 
I didn't plant the church. I'm a frustrated church planter. I want nothing more than to plant churches, but I have just stuck around for, I started attending our church in college and then just never left, and that's what happens. If you don't go away, they're finally like, okay, you're in charge. Um, so, so, but Steve was part of 12 uh, people from Ames, Iowa that came to, to Michigan to plant our church, and none of them had ever stepped foot in the state before, but a bunch of hippies on school bus had come through that summer and said, this is a place ripe for the harvest. We should plant a church there. They announced in their church on Thursday that they wanted people to consider going by Saturday. By the way, that's not how you plant a church, but it's how our church was planted, three days. So Steve came to Michigan, had never been there before. They started sharing the gospel with people on night one. On night one, they met a, a daughter of a professor on campus, and she got saved. Uh, she ended up marrying one of the team, joined the team, went out and planted some churches, came back, was on staff at our church until she retired. And, and it's an amazing story, but here's the deal. Steve is an evangelist. Not because he's gifted to do it, but because he's learned how to do the work of an evangelist. When he retired from being a pastor at our church in, in, when he turned 65, he went and got a new job as a construction worker. And you're like, why does a 65-year-old get a job as a construction worker? Because the guy who owned the construction company went to our church and said there's a bunch of young heathen dudes on these construction teams. And he was like, I'm there. So he got a job. What does he do? He drives people to their parole appointments. Like he told me one day, I was driving this kid to this parole appointment, and I told him, listen, we're going to be in the car for an hour and a half, so we're going to talk about Jesus. Okay, so he just talked to him about Jesus. He goes to a place called Horrocks, which, by the way, I mentioned this morning. I said you would never understand what it's like. Someone walked up to me and said, I'm from Lansing. I've been to Horrocks. Horrocks is amazing. Horrocks is insane. It started as a place where they sold plants, and then they just started selling coffee, and then all kinds of groceries, and then Christmas trees, and now they have a wine bar and a beer garden, and you can get uh, um, Italian, like, frozen ice things. It just, it's gelato, and it's like, what, what do you sell all this crazy stuff? And, and, and th this beer garden, Steve, every single day goes there after work. And he did that when he was a pastor. He still does that as a construction worker. Everybody knows him as Pastor Steve. And he has gatherings of people hanging around him every time he's there. He has friends who are lesbian couples and, and friends who are far from Christ and friends from other religions. And what he does, he walks around with his little notebook and he meets somebody and he says, oh, uh, what's your name? And he writes his, their name down. And then as they're talking, he's writing things. And then people get weirded out, like, what's this guy doing? And they say, why are you writing things down? And he's like, oh, I'm a Christian. I'm, this is my prayer list. I'm going to be praying for you about this stuff. And then the next time he sees them, he goes and finds them. And he looks up their name and says, hey, I've been praying for this. How's it going? And he has, he has all these friends that he is leading to Christ in horror. That's what I want to be when I grow up. Here's the deal. You're surrounded by people every day, right? Sports teams, neighborhoods, classrooms, labs that you work in. You're around people. Be intentional with them. Spill your life out for them. That's a, the next thing that Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 is, I've given my life as a drink offering. In other words, I dumped it out for people. Dump your life out for people. Get around them and love them. And they're going to know you're a Christian. It's going to come up. And then when they look at you, they're going to know what Christianity is about. When my son's t uh, season was wrapping up, I realized I had never had a chance to share the gospel with John. We'd had a lot of weird conversations, but we never talked about Jesus. In fact, we never got into spiritual things, and I thought, shoot, I told my wife, I haven't even got a chance to talk to John about Jesus. And then our, our son's team made the Junior College World Series 
in the bustling metropolis of Enid, Oklahoma. Have you ever been to Enid? Don't. It's not. Here's the deal. They have a TJ Maxx and a Walmart. My wife and I went to them in separate days, so we didn't have all the excitement in one day. Um, but, but we went down to Enid, and the problem is when your son is playing in like a baseball tournament, that's one game a day. And if they lose, you go home. But if they keep winning, you got to stay. And there's one game a day, and you're in Enid, Oklahoma. Well, we went down there, but so did John. So I told my wife, this is it. John and I are going to end up talking about Jesus while we're on this trip. And so one morning, I went out to go for a walk, and John was leaning on his truck smoking a cigarette, because that's what we do in the morning. I'd walk, he'd smoke. And, and, and he goes, hey, Noel. And I'm like, what? And he said, did I hear that you're a preacher? And I thought, here we go. Uh, and I said, yep. And he goes, then I owe you an apology. <laughs> and I said, why? He said, because I have used the F word so many times around you. And I said, John, two things. One, yes, you have. Um, uh, two, it doesn't really bother me. And then you could just see him kind of stop. And then he told me a story. See, John was raised by his grandma, and his grandma had one rule. And the rule was you read your Bible every day. And if you don't read the Bible, she hits you with a stick, which he didn't like getting hit by sticks. So John read his Bible and he read it over and over and over and over. And he had experience in, in Pentecostalism and Catholicism. And here's the deal. Rough around the edges as John was, he knows his Bible better than you do. I haven't even met you. John knows the Bible inside and out. He knows uh, Christianity and world religions. And, 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 and so right there at his truck, this conversations that we've been having leapt from good conversations to God conversations. And now we're just talking about all of this stuff. And we were having this wonderful God conversation. And then his wife called and asked him to bring up some breakfast. And so he's like, I got to go. And so he left. I thought, is that it? Is, is, is this going to be like the last chance that I have to talk to him? But the, the encouragement that I got is from 1 Corinthians where the Apostle Paul says this, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. Maybe a good conversation to God conversation was all I was going to get with John. And I've had to learn to be okay with that because here's what happens. There's two dangers. The first danger is for those of us who don't like sharing the gospel and we don't like to talk about sin and righteousness and judgment and all that kind of stuff, we talk to people about God generally, but we never get to the gospel. And there's some of us who so much want to close the deal on the gospel that we just speed right to it in a conversation when the conversation doesn't want to go there yet. But what I've learned is I'm just a tiny piece. God's doing what God is doing. He's sovereign. He's going to save. And so I just do whatever is in front of me. And sometimes like yesterday in the Delta Sky Club in Minneapolis, I get to talk to a guy for a little bit from Ethiopia about Jesus. And that was a tiny little seed. Maybe I just kicked open, you know, the, the soil and I didn't even drop the seed in there. But we're just praying that God will take that conversation to the next person. In our church, our mission statement is at RIV, we invite everyone to know and enjoy Jesus as we stumble together in our pursuit to love like him. In other words, we're just all in this thing together, and we're stumbling, and we're falling over each other, and just trying to tell people about the Jesus. I always say that our church is like the island of misfit toys, um, and we're just doing our best to invite people into the ride with us. And so the day after John and I talked at his truck, uh, we got done with one of our games. We won the next game, so that was good. We're going to stay around a little longer. 
uh, John calls me over to his truck again. He's like, no, I got to tell you something. And I'm like, what? He's like, you're never going to believe it. Some Seventh-day Adventist just tried to evangelize me. <laughs> and I thought two things. First of all, that's what I'm doing, John. Uh, and, and, and the second, I was like, I, I just wish more people were like the Seventh-day Adventists were right there, right? And then John, basically, he channeled his inner Ron Swanson with the Seventh-day Adventists. He said, I know more than you. And um, when, when they started talking about what they believed, and if you know anything about Seventh-day Adventists, one of the things that they believe is that we're under the law, which is why they worship God on, on Saturday, the whole thing. And so they start explaining all this to him. And he's like, no, 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 the, Christianity is not about the law. It, it, you're not under the law. And so he's explaining how they're not under the law. And I, I said, John, do you realize the massive disconnect? You know to say that to the Seventh-day Adventists, but to me, you built this little L-law where you were worried about your F-bombs and that somehow I was going to judge you based on that. You're still carrying around the same law that you're accusing them of. Because what you need to know, John, is that you're never going to do this. You're never going to make it. The only person who's ever been sinless is Jesus. He's the only one who perfectly kept the law. He perfectly kept it. He died on the cross. He was buried. He rose again, conquering sin, Satan, death, guilt, and shame so that you could believe in him and not worry about all this law being piled onto you in your life. So we had that conversation, and then our sons lost the next game. And I haven't seen John yet since then. I realized I didn't even really get his contact information. But I'm hoping that one day in glory, I'll be able to see John again. I'm hoping that I'll be able to introduce him to you. And I'm hoping that you'll be able to introduce John to your friend that you haven't even shared the gospel with yet. That's why I'm so excited to be here today. Going from one to two services, it's a little jarring, and it's a little bittersweet. We've done this multiple times to the point that my wife will be like, do they go to our church? And I'm like, I think so. They just go to a different service, right? Um, and, and that's the reality. Things have changed. And you may have a little bit, a twinge of sadness about this, uh, but what we do in our church, and I think you guys use the same phrase here, is we call these gospel goodbyes. And it's like, you know what? I'm not gonna see you as much as I used to, but it's worth it because it opens up seats and parking spots, space in the kids' ministry and the parking lot, which I heard was the big deal, to tell people about Jesus. So I'm gonna give you two little homework assignments, and I'm not gonna be back to check on you, so it's an honor system. Um, but here's the deal. The first, here's the first assignment. When you walk out of here today and you walk into the parking lot, I want you to find an open parking spot. Why don't you go right up to it? You remember what those are, open parking spots? You used to have them? You have them again. Find one of those and then pray as you're standing there for a friend of yours, a neighbor of yours, a coworker of yours that you would like to talk to about Jesus. And then every time you show up at church, find the empty parking spot and pray that prayer again. Every time you leave, do it again. Like, so here's the deal. I'm staying at the Hilton Garden in just down the street. And I decided to walk here this morning because I'm insane and it was dark and 40 degrees. Um, but I decided to walk here. I didn't know exactly where the church was. I just knew it was down the road. So I got out on the road uh, right in front of the Ford dealership and I turned left and I saw the logo on the building. Your guys' logo is amazing. If you've never considered this, in the center of the logo is the cross of Jesus. And then where did the arrows point? Out. 
Like when you come here, you are encouraged by the gospel. You're reminded of what Jesus has done for you, all of that. And then you get the chance to walk out of here and walk out into the community to tell people about Jesus. So every time you walk in and you walk out, I want you to go to that parking spot, look at it, and pray. And then what's going to happen is when you run into your friend, it's going to make it much easier to talk to them about Jesus. That's your first homework assignment. The second one is going to sound terrifying, but it's not. In the next six days, I'd like you to talk to a stranger about Jesus. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I, got, I got head shakes. Nope. Here's the deal. It's, it's easier than talking to your friend because you may never see them again. Here's how it works. I want you just to pray that God would help you get into a good conversation with somebody you don't know. So if you happen to be, I don't know, at the tattoo parlor or at the coffee shop or, you know, your biker gang, whatever, wherever you happen to be. I want you to, to get there, and, and, and if there's somebody that you can get into a conversation with that you've never met before, just start the conversation. Try to have a good conversation, and then start praying while you're talking. God, would you turn this thing into a God conversation? And I have learned in experience, God loves to answer that prayer. And then all of a sudden, you're talking about spiritual things somehow. And then... This is the key. This is when you start praying, God, let me have an opportunity to share the gospel with this person, to tell them something about Jesus. And when that opportunity presents itself, which it will sometimes, you just have the opportunity to either be obedient or not because he's laid it right before you. Let me give you an example. Last April, I was in Milwaukee, and um, I was checking into my hotel, and I, I walked in, and the guy behind the counter, dressed all in black, uh, big medallion on his chest like this. I walk up and he says, so what do you do for a living? And I hate that question because it's a conversation killer, right? Um, when someone doesn't know. Uh, but he's like, what do you do for a living? And I said, oh, I'm, I'm a pastor. And then, you know, he kind of shut down. So I was like, okay, how am I gonna talk to this guy? So then I said, hey, tell me about that medallion. That thing is amazing. And he goes, oh, it's from my favorite band. And I said, really, who is it? And he stopped for a second and he kind of said, well, I can't believe I'm about to tell a pastor this. He said, it's satanic death metal. Now, I want you for a second to think about what the appropriate answer to that is. When someone says, my favorite band is satanic death metal. Is that a conversation ender like, hey, I'm a pastor? Are we going to allow it to be? So what I said to him is, I said, have you ever seen them in concert? And he was like, Yes. And then he just started telling me all about this concert down in Chicago. He drove all the way down there and it was a whole thing and, and that they're going to be coming back to Milwaukee and he can't wait to see them again. And then I'm like, oh, this is my only shot. He, we're talking about satanic death metal. That's a God conversation. Uh, let's see if we can go gospel conversation. I'll probably never see this guy ever again. And so I just went for it. And I said, so do you listen to that music because you like the, the style of the music or you like the, the message? <laughs> and you could just see in his eyes, he knew exactly what I was doing. And so that conversation was over. And I thought, shoot. So then I went up to my room and I got my stuff together and I was leaving. And on the way out, he goes, hey, where are you headed? And I turned around and said, do you like coffee? And he said, yeah. I said, well, uh, have you heard of Vendetta Coffee? It's, it, it's actually the best coffee shop in Milwaukee, in my opinion, and it got rated the best coffee shop in all of Wisconsin. And, and, I said, my, and I said, I'm on my way there. At night, they have a speakeasy where they do cocktails. I'm on my way to drink some cocktails with my friends. And, and he said, really, I do like coffee. And I, he said, what's the name of it? And I wrote down Vendetta Coffee, and I gave it to him. I said, you've got to go try this best coffee in, in Wisconsin. What he doesn't know is my friend Tommy, who's a pastor, owns the coffee shop. <laughs> and I thought, 
this is it. I planted the seed. We just got to see what God is going to do from there. What happened is a couple months later, it was really funny. I was on a motorcycle trip for 2,000 miles around. We went up around Lake Michigan, and we happened to be in Milwaukee. We stopped in Milwaukee for the night, and the guy I was traveling with booked us a hotel. And I didn't think anything of it until we pulled our bikes up in front of this hotel. And I was so excited. I was like, this is it. This is like, like, like this is the guy. Because I was so excited that uh, this, maybe the God had done something in this guy's life. And so I told my friend really excitedly, buy our bikes. This is the guy. I, we just got to go in. I got to meet the guy. And so we walked in the door and there he was, black clothes, medallion, the whole thing. And I walked up to him and I said, do you remember me? And he says, no. And I said, we talked about your medallion and the concert in Chicago and the concert in Milwaukee. He's like, nope. I said, I told you about the coffee shop in town. He's like, no. And you know, my, my heart sank. But this is what happens when we tell people about Jesus. Sometimes we get a chance to share the whole gospel with them like I did with John. And sometimes we plant the seed. The guy doesn't even remember us. This is the work of an evangelist. And my prayer is for your church that you would be an army of people that will march out of the doors of this church in the name of Jesus, not because you're great, not because Jonathan's great, not because the church is great, but because Jesus is great. That, that Jesus is the one who saves. And we, we hold that. And it, think about how stupid it is that Jesus gave us the message, but we get to do it. So let's go tell our friends about Jesus.